Now, words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious things thou dost impart and wing my words that they may reach the hidden depths of many a heart. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. In my first church in West Texas in the early 1980s, there was a member in his 30s, a local banker who had grown up in a Presbyterian church in a smaller and even dustier town a few hundred miles west, which is not very far in Texas. Richard had a gift for reaching youth. He volunteered to teach the senior high Sunday school class, and within a few weeks we were having 30 to 40 senior highs come every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30. During Lent, they conducted worship services at 7 a.m. in the chapel each Friday morning, invited the congregation. We would have 30 or 40 people join them. Richard was a gifted storyteller, as many Texans are, and he had a spark and a charisma that that led him to understand where youth are. It was great as a new youth minister for me to simply sit back and watch all this unfold. But there was one area in which Richard's faith had not yet developed. Around stewardship time, when the church was asking people to make an annual financial pledge, Richard said to me, there are a lot of people in this town who give plenty of money to the church. I think he knew because he was their banker. (laughs) But I just give my time, he said, not my money. Now, I was young in those days, and I really didn't know what to say back to him, though I knew that somehow it just doesn't work that way. And now, 35 years later, I think I can respond. In the fall sermon series on which I've been preaching on why questions, why church, why Westminster, why join, I'm ready to tackle question number four today, why give? And then next Sunday, conclude with question number five, why tithe? Why give to the church? Not only our time, as Richard did, but also a considered, thoughtful percentage of our income as well. Why give our money as well as our time to the church? The first reason to give to the church is despite its flaws and public sins, There is no more sacred entity with which to give a portion of our material resources. In the first part of this brief picturesque saying that forms our scripture reading for today, 
Jesus draws a stark contrast between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, he says, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. When we hear this, we might initially think that Jesus is labeling as evil all the treasures on earth of which he speaks. But he is not doing so. He is simply saying that the blessings we have in this life are subject to the same processes to which we as finite creatures are subject. Decline and death where moth and rust consume, or even destruction at the hands of our fellow human beings, where thieves break in and steal, where shooters walk in and shoot. St. Augustine once wrote, there is an impressiveness in lovely material things, gold and silver, And everything. In contact with the flesh, he said, there is an accord between the flesh and what it touches that has a huge appeal. Worldly honor and the power to give order and to maintain the upper hand have their own kind of attraction. Lovely material things, the flesh and what it touches, the capacity to give order and maintain the upper hand, especially when the forces of evil and disorder seem so in control. These are indeed treasures on earth. They are beautiful. They are powerful. They are life-giving. They are life-sustaining. And Jesus is not denigrating them. This summer, five homes on our short block in this neighborhood sold and brought new people onto the lawns and streets. Two large houses on the corner that face Cameron Mills have gone from sitting empty to having families, one with four children and one with two children and another on the way. Picket fences have been erected. Playground equipment has appeared in the yards, SUVs in the driveways. In the evening, lights are on throughout the houses as if to say, people live here. There are children and parents and grandparents and pets. Come on in, come on in. A few days ago, we received a flyer in our mailbox that was not enlisting us to vote for a particular candidate or organizing us for a zoning controversy. Rather, the flyer simply read, we're moving in. Michael and Donna and our pups, Gino and Olivia. On Wednesday, October 24th, our movers will be moving us in. Hopefully, their presence will not be intrusive to you in the neighborhood. But if they are, don't hesitate to let us know. Come by. Call or text. We're looking forward to meeting our new neighbors. The good fortune of people to live in this city, to live in this neighborhood 
with old homes filled with character, which is what we say when the paint chips. (laughs) And with public and private schools that are as good as any in this country, with sports galore, with churches and synagogues, with physical and intellectual proximity to one of the most powerful and beautiful cities in the world, even when that city is fractious and divided and its leaders threatened with violence, all, all of these things are treasures on earth. They are lovely, material things. And they are worth the time and effort and financial and tax support we give them to create the life we have here. In his two-verse saying, Jesus does not denigrate these treasures, but he reminds us wisely that none of them last forever. We who benefit from the blessings of this neighborhood will move on. We will pass on Even the most brilliant breakthrough that emerges from across the river in this unfinished historical experiment called America will be supplanted by another breakthrough. Like the telephone replaced the telegraph. The internet, the telephone. Even the most endearing memorial erected by artist and architect will find the attention it receives wane in the face of another. Even the most intimate love that arises between parent and child, spouse and spouse in the homefulness of the homes around us will be supplanted by similar love within another family and then another and then another. Augustine thus concluded, these lowest things do have their delights but not in comparison to you, my God, who made them and made everything. Therefore, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. Back in the days when most people gave to the church, did so by writing a check at home before coming to worship so you don't have to scramble for a pen as the plates are being passed down the pew. A friend told me that his wife, who was the member of the marriage who paid all the bills and thus wrote the check out before church, would always write in the memo section of the check on the lower left-hand corner the word, thanks. T-H-A-N-K-S. The most sacred gift we give is to God. Neither moth nor rust consumes and thieves don't break in and steal. The second reason we give to the church is counterintuitive. We give to the church not primarily because the church needs the money to pay the utility bills or shovel the snow, which will surely come this winter. But on the contrary, we give to the church to deepen our faith. 
This insight comes from the word order that Jesus uses in the last sentence of our passage. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. There your heart will follow. In a society in which we have discretion about how we use our money, the normal process is for us to try something out and then pay for it. We taste a new flavor at Baskin and Robbins and then buy it. We look at a college and then apply. We walk through a home with a realtor and then we make an offer. In all these instances, the order is where our heart is first. There our treasure will follow. But the odd thing about Christian faith is that we first give ourselves to it and then we find that our heart follows. I can almost guarantee you that once any of us gives a significant portion of our time, our energy, our talent, our prayer, our financial resources to any church, to Westminster Presbyterian Church, then our care and concern, our energy, our imagination, our intelligence, our love for the life and ministry of the congregation will follow in abundance. We will find more things we don't like, but more things we do like. We will find more people we struggle to admire, but we will find more people we admire outright. We will find more theological questions for which we do not have answers. And we will find more theological questions for which we have decided that answers are not quite as necessary as once we thought. Where your treasure is where your time and your energy and your money is, there will your heart be as well. There will your heart follow. In the Christian church, we are not consumers testing something out and then deciding whether or not to buy. We are members of the community of faith putting ourselves into something and then seeing our hearts follow. I opened with a story from a, of a person from another church who gave his time and talent, but not his treasure. I want to end with the story of a person from this church who gave both. Many of you will remember the distinguished older gentleman, always dressed in a coat and tie, who would sit in the chair outside the library door and then come in for the service once it started. His name was Don Fowler. Don was born in rural North Dakota in 1912. He graduated from the University of South Dakota, entered the military, went to work for the government. He was one of the first people to move to Tennessee to help bring electricity to Appalachia through the Tennessee Valley Authority. Afterward, he returned to Washington and assumed what would become a long and distinguished career with the World Bank. Along the way, Don married a woman from Alabama named Betsy. Aren't all women born in Alabama named (laughs) Betsy? At least in that generation. They raised two daughters in this community and they joined Westminster in the early 1950s. The records show that Don joined 10 years after 
Betsy joint. The toll of aging visited Betsy long before it visited Don, and he cared for her at home for many years until she died in 2011 at age 95. When I came here as pastor in 2004, Don was the oldest member of the session. Others sometimes had to help him follow the course of business at a meeting, but he kept up pretty well. But he would leave every session meeting at 8.30 p.m., which others would like to have been able to do. (laughs) But it was because he did not leave Betsy alone for more than an hour at a time. After he served on the session, he served on the foundation board and the administration and finance committee, attending night meetings at the church once or twice a month, as well as adult education and worship every Sunday. In the last few years of his life, Don took up blogging, and he would engage in spirited but intellectual and respectful blogs with members and friends and people from all over the world about matters political and economic. He somehow got connected with a member of my former church in Iowa who shared his politics and his passion for expressing them. When Betsy died, Don helped set up a portion of her estate as an endowment in our foundation to support the participation of children and youth in music. When he died in 2013, the session added his bequest that fund. When Don was setting up this fund after Betsy's death, he told Nancy B., our administrator at the time, the reason I don't get off committees is become because I am afraid that people will stop asking me to do things. Don did not automatically accept orthodox views of faith or traditional formulations of it in this church. But he was also always searching for the kernel of truth he knew lay within Christianity. In his searching, he gave proportionately of his time. He gave proportionately of his talent. He gave proportionately of his income. He gave proportionately of his estate. He gave of his treasure and as his heart beat into its 101st year, it never stopped following. Amen.